All right, we're live, Greg, if you want to go live. Hey, welcome, everybody. Um, glad that you have joined us today um, for, I, well, first, I'm Greg Surratt, pastor at Seacoast Church and currently the president of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And uh, you're watching or listening to uh, Ministry Hangouts, uh, where we are twice a month on the second and the fourth Wednesday of every month, we're just hanging out, uh, talking church. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about ministry marriage and uh, how, to, how to survive, how to thrive, um, how to have a healthy, not unhealthy uh, marriage relationship in the midst of all that uh, ministry is about. Excited about, let me introduce our guests today. Uh, first of all, uh, Jimmy Evans. Jimmy and Karen are the founders of Marriage Today, and uh, they have encouraged and coached countless couples in building rewarding marriages and healthy homes. Uh, they bring more than 25 years of experience in equipping and teaching couples, and uh, Marriage Today's mission is to restore the dream of marriage in America. Welcome, Jimmy. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Pastor. You are going to be doing a marriage um, weekend for us at Seacoast in a few months, and uh, so I'm glad you're on. Uh, next, let me introduce Ted Lowe. Uh, yes. Ted, Ted and Nancy uh, actually started uh, Married People Ministry in their first year of marriage uh, at Lake Forest, California, where they worked in the youth and drama ministry at Saddleback. And uh, then um, they met Andy Stanley at a Big Stuff camp and uh, went on staff at um, North Point as Married Life Directors. And uh, currently they spend their time with the Rethink organization, spending their days loving each other, their three kids, <laughs> creating resources to help churches and marriages. Th uh, Ted, thanks for, for being here and thanks for uh, taking the time. Thanks for letting me. Thank you. Brian Bloy. Uh, pastor Brian is the founding and leading pastor of Westridge Church, as well as the Launch Network, which is another great church planting organization, planting churches all over the country. And uh, he and his wife, Amy, are the authors of a book called It's Personal. It's about the personal side of planting a new church and the impact that launching a new ministry has uh, on church planters and their family. And uh, Brian is a good friend of mine. Brian, I'm glad you're here uh, today. And Thanks a lot, Greg. Then we also have uh, Justin and Tricia Davis. Uh, they are the founders of Refine Us Ministries, which is igniting a movement in the church and among pastors and church planners to build healthy marriages and families. And uh, they're also the authors of a recent book, Beyond Ordinary, When Good Enough Marriage is Not Enough. Um, they uh, currently make their home in Nashville, uh, where Justin is on staff at Cross Point Church with uh, my friend Pete Wilson. So welcome, you guys. Glad you're here. Thank you very much. Be here. And uh, then my sidekick today, uh, co-host, is Sean Wood. And uh, Sean was a longtime staff member at Seacoast. He's also a church planter, uh, uh, gives leadership to Freedom Church in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And he'll be kind of monitoring your comments. And uh, if you'd like to comment, uh, Twitter hashtag is hashtag ministry hangout. And so if you'll do that and uh, ask questions as we go along, um, we'll 
try to get as many of them as we can. All right, so what we want to do uh, is, uh, in our show, the first thing I like to do is do, do a little commentary uh, on this week in church news. Sean, what's happening this week in church news that we can talk about? That's right. Well, we uh, knew we were doing marriage and ministry uh, this uh, time around, and so we figured who better to talk about than the Pope, because marriage and ministry is so pertinent to his life. But no, uh, this week the Pope actually announced that he's going to resign, which is a pretty big deal for all church circles, uh, both uh, evangelical and uh, otherwise. And so uh, just thought we'd throw it out there and say, you know, what does that mean? Uh, what, do, what do you think about it? Uh, even what can we translate that to someone who was willing to say, you know what, it's better that I step away. I know it's been 600 years since the Pope has done this, but he really feels like it's time to move on. So I just throw that out there. Uh, start with you, Pastor Greg. I mean, what do you think the implications are, and what do you think about it, and, and uh, what's going on with that? Well, it's not often that, you know, more often than not, uh, we stay too long. And uh, so that was interesting to me. Uh, and it's something I'm thinking about in my own ministry here at Seacoast. We've been 25 years, hope to go a bit longer, a while longer, but. Uh, what are the implications of staying too long, and what are we doing to, to train successors? So, um, anyway, anybody else? Uh, thoughts on the Pope? What are they going to look for in a new Pope? What do you think? <laughs> Fascinating subject. <laughs> I think they'll look for someone who is single, I think for sure, probably. Oh, that's good, Jesse. Way to go. Way to go out on a, on a limb on that one. <laughs> Do you think, hey, do you, what, what do you guys, do you follow this at all? I, I kind of follow this stuff. Uh, do you think we'll have a pope from somewhere else besides Europe? What do you think about that? The, on, I think it was on Drudge this morning. They have a black pope, I think, from Africa that they're looking at. That's interesting. I think, you know, Greg, I don't know if this is what you're wanting uh, related to this topic, but. I think one of the greatest disasters in church history was the uh, requirement for priests to be single. Mm. Um, you know, mm. when you look at the history of that, it hasn't been good. And not that the Protestant church can really, you know, brag about, you know, our marriages per se. Right. But, you know, when you, when you require either for, you know, priests or nuns, that basically they're married to the church and they can't be married, I think, I think that's tough. Yeah, you know, I think that the the history of that has not been good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Do you think that'll ever change? Oh no, absolutely not. I think I think the 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 good and the bad of the Catholic Church. You know, when a fight breaks out, I want to stand next to a Catholic because they don't change. And for, you know, related to a marriage, uh, related to homosexuality, related to a lot of things. I mean, they're 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 great in a fight. You know, because they just they don't care. Yeah. You know, socially, they're they're very very, um, you know, uh, in some ways stuck in a time warp, which is pretty good. Um, but the other side of that is that they're not good at recognizing and fixing their mistakes. And I think that the, uh, uh, the celibacy and priesthood, you know, it's lent itself to a lot of problems over the years. And uh, like this, this is a great pope, and the last pope was a great pope. They're they're just super people. Um, and I have, a, I have a lot of respect for this Pope. I think he's just done a lot of good and really, really stood his ground. But, um, you know, 
for the first time in 600 years, you know, the last Pope, I mean, literally when he died, uh, he could barely even speak and barely even function. And they would shove a microphone under his mouth and he would give a speech. And I'll tell you what, I respect that. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's transition uh, into talking about the subject of the day. We're going to talk about marriage and ministry. Here's what I did is I put out some tweets and Facebook and uh, some email things to as many uh, men and women in ministry as I could asking for questions. And we got a bunch of them. Mm. So I'll kind of, I'll kind of start with a couple of things that I wanted to start with and then we'll kind of get into it. And if we chase some rabbit trails, that's okay too. Uh, Let's start with this. Um, Give me a top three. If you don't have a top three, let me enter. First of all, I see that Chip Judd uh, joined us. Hey, Chip. Are you on? Are you unmuted? I think you're you're muted there. There we go. Yeah, man. I'm here. All right, Chip. Let me tell you a little bit about Chip. Chip and his wife, Colleen, uh, provide counsel and encouragement to church staffs across the country. In fact, I think that's what you're doing right now uh, in Atlanta with a large church there. And uh, Chip has been a pastor and a pastoral counselor uh, for over 30 years. Uh, He's committed to healthy models of ministry and uh, has a good understanding of how boundaries play a big role in successful ministry marriages. And Chip also leads the pastoral ministries uh, here at Seacoast Church, along with his responsibilities uh, to churches across, uh, uh, well, I was going to say the United States, but around the world too. So Chip, good to have you. Hey, here's what I want to do. Give me a top three. If you don't have three, give me one. Uh, Do this to help create a healthy ministry marriage. This is this three things that that you would say to somebody if they said, what do you do to make my marriage healthy in ministry? What's the top three? Anybody just kind of join in? Well, I'll, get, I'll give you one, Greg, and this is something that uh, I'm going steal to steal this from Andy Stanley, but uh, cheat the church, not your family. Yeah. And that's that's a priority and something that we grabbed hold of. I actually grabbed hold of it personally from Andy years ago, and uh, it was at a time when we had been probably three or four years into Westridge, and um, it was growing, and I was pretty much out of balance. Um, and that he spoke those words into my life, and it has been a really a game changer for me and for our marriage, and it's something that we. Uh, implement as a policy here at Westridge when it comes to all of our staff. I, I don't want to put you on a spot, but is there, like, like for instance, for your own marriage, your own family, what's what's that look like? What's a hey? I'm going to cheat the church in this area rather than cheating my family. Well, I mean, for us, you know, we had to flesh that out. You know, we tried to come up with what does a work week look like. Um, what, you know, if, if somebody's working at night, do they come in later the next day, which they do now? Um, and so even, you know, we got our elders totally behind all of that and just said, you know, if, if somebody's job is is causing them to work 70, 80 hours a week, then it's time to hire someone else to come alongside of them to take the load off of them. So, you know, it, it's, um, it, 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 I mean, there's many times where I'll walk through this office and look at somebody who's you know, here after five or whatever, and I'll say, who's getting, just kind of joking, who's getting cheated right now? And um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of become some of the, somewhat of the language of our culture here at Westridge. Yeah. I would say um, separate your calling from your identity. 
Hmm. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made in marriage was, or in marriage and ministry was that specifically ministry is I found my identity in my calling rather than allowing hmm. my identity in Christ, rather than allowing my calling to be an overflow of my identity in Christ. And so I put so much stock in ministry success and accomplishments because that was my identity. And it wasn't until I was able to separate those two things that my calling really should be an overflow of my identity in Christ. My calling is not my identity. And um, that was was a a hard thing to learn, but I think it, it filters everything that you think about, how you do ministry, how you engage in your marriage. Um, and so that, that, that's a big one for me, I think. And I, I would say that it allows the, the bride of Christ to feel like a partner rather than a mistress, which is mm. to wow. not be in the middle. Yeah. Wow. I, let, let, let's hang out there a minute. The bride <laughs> of Christ to feel like a partner and not a mistress. Mm. Um, what, are, like, what are some early signs that ministry's starting to come before family. We'll we'll get to another one in just a minute, but let's let's hang out there. It's, so I'm in ministry. Uh, maybe I just planted a church. Uh, you know how all-consuming that is. How how what's some early signs that the church is being a girlfriend and not a partner? Anybody anyone want to tackle that? I think we talk a lot about seasons. If you were building a house, there's just a season in, in building that it's intense, the days are long, same for church planning. I think that the church feels more like a mistress when you allow that season to become the norm and you start making excuses for why you need to be there for those long days when that season's well and gone. Mm-hmm. So just being aware and being open about communicating, hey, it's Easter, we're going into a busy season, we're growing like wildflower fire, which is awesome, but you need, like Brian said, you need to sustain a healthy norm so it, it doesn't become a competition, and that, that's hard. It's easier said than done, for sure. Okay. And that was, that was one of the things that Andy, you know, you guys have mentioned Andy Stanley, choosing to cheat. One of the things that has always stuck with me, he was talking about when he started um, North Point, he said, Lord, I'm going to give you 45 hours to build this church. I'm going to give you 45 hours every week to do this. Yeah. Whatever you can do with that, then please bless that. And and I think that, especially when you're starting a church, is so huge because it's so easy, you know, to say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to put in 80 hours this first couple of years. But I think him just starting at that point. And so when we started Married People, that's been my gauge is this 45 hours saying, okay, Lord, whatever you can do with these 45 hours, you know, please bless that. And that's just really stuck with me. It's been very tangible uh, for me as well. That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because yeah. what we celebrate is the 55 hours or the 60 hours. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of, we might measure ourselves or other people. You know, it's kind of a stroke. Hey, he's a hard-working guy mm-hmm. or she's yeah. a hard-working woman. And to say, nope, this is it, 45 hours. That That's that's cool. All right. Somebody else. Uh, give, me a, give me another top three. What, what's the top three things that you do? to help create a healthy ministry marriage. You separate the vision of your marriage from the vision of your ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the, one of the things that happens that's extremely dangerous in ministry is um, by default, the vision of the church becomes the vision of the couple. 
and the couple just kind of gets drugged behind the truck because the ministry is the main thing. Uh, before we know it, we exist for the ministry. Our marriage exists for the ministry. And the vision of the ministry is the driving force. And what we teach people is you need to have a vision for your marriage. It's irregardless. It's like the, the brother just a minute ago that said, I have an identity outside of ministry. The vision of my marriage should come first. And just like we have, a, we teach people about how to have a vision retreat for their marriage. And every, we teach people every year you should go away for three or four days and you should spend three or four hours a day praying about every area of your marriage and your children uh, individually and your finances and everything. And you have that vision for your marriage. And sometimes when you get God's vision for your marriage, it might actually reveal that you're not in the right ministry or that the ministry that you're in, you know, is in a wrong place in your life. Most pastors are consumed with their churches because they really don't have an identity of their marriage outside the church. Hmm. And I did that for many years. And uh, when, my, when Karen and I started doing a vision retreat every year, we just started about 20 years ago. When we started doing a vision retreat every year, it gave us an identity, and not just an identity, but a blueprint for our marriage, uh, irregardless of the church or marriage today. And what that helped us to then do was to then put everything else in its place. So I think that ministry, one of the most important things you do is you have an identity that says this, I'm going to be married. I don't know if I'll be at this church for the rest of my life, but I'll be married to you for the rest of my life. And irregardless of what the vision is of the church, we're going to have our vision first, and that's going to tell us everything else. And I, I would put that absolutely in the top three things that will save your marriage and ministry. So, Jimmy, give me a little, just a picture into what a, a vision retreat for your marriage looks like. Okay, on our website, marriagetoday.com, we have a resource that's called The Mountaintop of Marriage, and it actually leads you through the entire process of a vision retreat, uh, before, during, and after. So if anyone wants that physical resource. But four or five days, you go away. In the mornings, you wake up, and you, you talk, you walk, you pray, you worship. But the main thing is you, uh, you talk about every, for example, the first question, what we teach people is it, once you answer the big questions, the little questions answer themselves. Mm. And the number one question that every couple needs to answer is, why did God put us together? If, when you come to Christian couples, or especially pastors, and you say, did God put you together? Everybody says, well, yeah. Well, the second question is, why? And everybody says, huh? You, you, they can't answer that question. And, the, and here, the issue is, how can you succeed if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish? So on the vision retreat, we're going we're gonna to answer the questions. And some of these questions basically you answer one time, but others you answer every single year over and over again. But why did God put us together? What are our family values? Um, what do we want people to remember about us? What do we want people to say at our funeral? Um, just the big banner kind of questions that we want to answer. Then the other questions are, Finances, children, uh, our relationship, uh, schedules, ministry, um, all kinds of things like that is what, what's our vision this year? So for four or five days, you wake up in the mornings, in the afternoons and evenings, you just have fun. It needs to be a really fun, romantic time. But in the mornings, we're praying. Some people are seers, some people are hearers, and some people are feelers.
So when you talk about vision, it doesn't mean that you're both seeing something. I'm a seer, but my wife is a feeler. You know you get God's vision when you agree. And you sit down and you, and you write it down. And we, uh, the person who taught me to do this, David Smith, who works at Gateway, um, had five children. And every year when they went on their vision retreat, they prayed over each of the five children individually until they believed that they had God's vision for that child for that year. Mm-hmm. And when they came back from their vision retreat, they knew exactly in every category of their lives. They knew exactly what God wanted them to accomplish. You're just a team. It creates the greatest intimacy of anything that we've ever experienced. So four or five days, you can't take the kids with you or you won't have a good one. Amen. Four or five days, you get away. It can be someplace nice. It can be someplace cheap. It can be camping. But the main thing is we're together. We're having fun, but we're spending four or five hours a day just praying about our relationship and our family. And I'll tell you, it, it's, it's the most transforming thing that we have ever done in our marriage, and it protects our ministry. I think so, the difficult thing, um, Greg, is there are probably people watching this who aren't Brian Bloy or they're not working for Brian Bloy. And so most churches celebrate busyness as a almost like a byproduct of importance. If you're, you're, The busier you are, the more important you are. And, and so you have a lot of pastors, youth pastors, associate pastors who are in environments that they're being cultivated to cheat their family. And so it's difficult when you're working for someone who doesn't say go home, who doesn't say, you know, you've worked 50 hours this week, take tomorrow morning off. Um, and so that's really, as I interact with pastors and when Trisha interacts with pastors' wives, um, they have a desire to do this, but they're not in an environment that's cultivating that. So there's this real huge uh, friction that's occurring in their marriage relationship and in their ministry because um, they want to be a person that's balanced. They want to be a person that's putting family first. It's just not being encouraged by those that they work for, and that's really hard. So, Chip, uh, Justin kind of has laid out that you you can't work for Brian Bloy, okay? Uh, (laughs) Justin can work for me anytime he wants. He just just doesn't pay enough. He doesn't work at all. They're all part-time. So you're working for somebody else who is rewarding busyness. Um, What do you do in a situation like that? Chip. Um, That that can be tricky. Um, You know, you got to figure out what your appeal process is um, because sometimes if you raise issues that uh, that particular leader is not ready to be kind and gentle in the discussion of, you might, you might need to have a backup plan on where you're going to go from there. Um, uh, that honestly, I would say, I don't mean to take this a different direction, but most leaders are harder to talk to about those kind of issues than they think they are. And, uh, so then the trick becomes, and I think Chip just got done talking. No, am I here? You're, you're, you froze there for just a minute. Oh, sorry about that. Again, what was my last thought? You said some, you said some leaders are not as easy to talk to as they think they are. Right. So obviously, that produces a real challenge for that staff member to raise the issue. 
I think it'd be a great thing for leaders to talk about uh, is how could you create an environment where number one you are easy to talk to or number two you 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 have a mechanism in place in case okay. you're not. The perils of technology. Uh -oh. So 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 a, a conversation is important. Uh, I was thinking too that uh, you think of Daniel who was in a hostile environment and who was asked to have a lifestyle that was contrary to who he was or who he thought God wanted him to be and uh, he made an appeal to the king without being insubordinate he made an appeal and it worked and so I think that you know that that might be a study for someone who's in that situation also knowing that you you may you know you may not survive the the uh, the lion's den in the end so um, that's good all right give me uh, Brian how about you uh, we've talked about do this and we could probably do several do this is let's do the opposite side don't do this or if you wanna uh, so an, a, a lack of health or unhealthiness in your marriage, this is something that you'll do. What, what things should we avoid as ministry couples uh, in, uh, in building our marriage? Um, well, I think, you know, uh, I think at some point we're going to talk about boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think um, not setting up boundaries is, is something that you, you, you don't do that. Um, you know, I, I appreciated what Jimmy said a while a while ago. I, I, you've got to have you've got to have a game plan, and if you don't have a game plan of how you're going to not just survive in this, but to really thrive in this, I think you're in trouble because everything pulls against you all the time when you're in ministry. And and I think most of us would agree that you know we we rarely ever feel like there's a sense of completion with what we do. We ever really ever sense that that um, you know, we leave the office and there's tons of things to do, and so we take that home with us. And so I, I, I think you have to have a game plan that allows you to be able to prioritize your marriage. Um, I mean, just a couple of examples. I mean, Amy and I, we take every Friday off. Now, I know, you know, some, a lot of pastors, especially young church planners, have kids at home, and so, you know, maybe that's a Thursday night, but for us, it's all Friday, all Friday. And then we do three times a, three times a year. Uh, you know, a three-day little uh, little retreat together or two-day retreat together. And we had to get over the guilt of leaving our kids with someone else and even the guilt they were putting us on about doing that. But, you know, knowing that when we came back, we were going to be better for them, better for everybody. And then, um, you know, I, I will say this as well. I, you know, one of the things, and, and Chip's on here is on this with us, I think when we neglect to address issues in our marriage, um, all pastors, I don't care who you are, we have issues. We have issues that we brought into our marriage. Um, and when we neglect to deal with those things, what happens is, is we just start doing business together. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, all, we just, and, and I can't tell you how many times that I've talked to couples who, on the tail end of an affair, I'll ask the wife, you know, what, tell me what you were thinking, you know, you know when, during this time when things were just dead. And she said, I just thought I was taking one for the team. And um, I, I think we've got to be very strategic. I, you know, Chip is somebody that over the last couple of years, Amy and I have brought into our marriage to speak into our lives. And 
uh, we've had some, Chip will tell you, I mean, we've had some, some t very tearful moments as a couple um, because there are things about our mar my marriage that impact, you know, they impact the church, they impact the culture of the church, they impact the culture of my staff. And I want, I think, our, you know, if you, if you don't have a strategic plan, then I think it impacts everything. Chip, you have a little quote, and I want to make sure I say it right. You know, the, the, the culture of an organization is the behavior of a leader. Is that correct? Is that how you say that? Yeah, the culture of the church is the behavior of its leaders. It's a, it's a Ram Sharon quote. Yeah. And so I think we have to, as pastors, we have to set that culture um, by the way that we behave. And, and, you know, we're talking about marriage, and I think, you know, we have to set that we have to set that with the way that we deal with our own marriage. Any other just popping in here? Sorry, oh, Greg. Uh, I was going to ask the panel. Uh, something was brought up here is that um, you brought counseling, Pastor Brian, and we got Chip here, and and then we talked about dealing with stuff. Just to the to the panel in general, how important has it been um, for you guys in keeping a marriage uh, as the central thing to have someone? like a chip, a counselor, going to counseling, and maybe even Trisha and Justin, we could start with you guys of, on the tail end of a, of a marriage that had your stories quite public, had, had tanked. Um, how, was, how did counseling uh, play a role into that for you guys? I know for Connie and I, in the 18 months of Planning Freedom, going to chip has been um, just instrumental in keeping us um, healthy and walking through things, and it's been, been awesome. But how about for you guys, Justin, and others who maybe have seen value in that besides Brian? Yeah, um, I think, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I made personally was Trisha asked me on several different occasions before our marriage even got to what I would consider a danger zone. Hey, I don't think we're right. I don't think we're on the same page. I don't think we're hitting on all cylinders. I think we should go to counseling. And I had this belief that I'm a pastor. I don't go to counseling. I do counseling, right? So I, I, I just had this kind of Superman mentality that I can't admit weakness, and it wasn't until, as you mentioned, Sean, that our marriage imploded and we ended up completely not even knowing if we were going to make it and out of ministry that we began to go to counseling and began to allow people, at, two counselors specifically, to speak into our life and speak into our marriage and almost hold a mirror up to us to allow us to see some of the things that Brian was talking about that we bring into our marriage, that we bring into our relationship and find intimacy and find healing from those things rather than constantly wounding each other with those things. I think the hard truth is, I may get in trouble here, is just because someone's a counselor doesn't mean they're a good one. Right. And so you may have to fight for that. And I don't mean to fight for someone who will tell you what you want to hear, but someone who is like a chip that you know you and your spouse walk into and you feel heard and you have given permission to get you know, pushed on. I, I, we would not be married today if it wasn't for our counselor, but it also meant that he couldn't fix us. We had to choose to lean into the hard things that he was asking of us, even though we didn't understand him. I thought he was nuts at times, but it was afterwards that I realized he really knows what he's doing, and he allowed us to step out of this, you know, myopic view that we had of our situation and kind of step back and see the panoramic view of us both being really just messed up, broken people, but he had the steps to help us to help, and we still go to counseling. I mean, we'll go to counseling until we meet the ultimate counselor, I'm certain. <laughs> I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of pastors and really a lot of guys make uh, is that they go to counseling to pacify their wives, and then they just go, after the second counseling session, 
things are better, and so they stop going. And one of the things that we've realized is this is an ongoing, as life goes on, life goes on, and we have to have it as an ongoing part of our life to be able to navigate some of the new challenges that we face as a couple as the complexity of our life changes. Anybody else want to weigh in on the counselor issue? Yeah, Nancy and I have a little bit of a unique situation when it comes to counseling. Uh, I actually uh, went to one counselor and, uh, and spent time just dealing with my own stuff. And then Nancy went to the counselor's wife, who was also a counselor, and she dealt with her stuff. And, I, you know, they say you bring in baggage to marriage. I came in with a U-Haul truck, and she came in with a makeup bag worth, so it didn't take her near as long to, to work through it. But we call them our, my Dr. Bird and your Dr. Bird. Um, and they've been dear, dear friends uh, for us. But I think a lot of times I just needed to work on my own stuff first before Nancy and I can start working on Because I think a lot of times we, you know, with counseling, they tend to work on the issue. Like, let's just work on the issue instead of the core of what's going on. So I think, you know, Tricia, I think you're right saying just because they're a counselor doesn't mean it's a great one. In fact, the one time we did go to a counselor at one point and um, he got pretty nasty with my wife and I had to bow up uh, to him. It was, you know, I scored major points for bowing up to the counselor. Let me just tell you. Yeah, but, but you know, it's, I, I think God wires um, people in that way that can help you dig through things you can't dig through on your own. So I'm, I'm very pro, but I do think you have to be careful who, who you're listening to because I've heard some crazy stuff. Jimmy, do you want to weigh in on that at all? Yeah, I think that uh, one of the biggest traps of ministry is pretending that we have it all together because um, none of us do and uh, everyone has issues and, and always will and the way I say it is I reserve the right to be messed up and no one's going to take it away from me and you know <laughs> I, I own that now <laughs> well you know the, the people like to put preachers on a pedestal mm -hmm. and they and what happens if we allow that and I don't want to gross anybody out and I, I do qualify for ministry, but the, Tommy Barnett told me one time, he said, uh, let everybody know you have clay feet, just don't show them off a lot. Mm -hmm. And But the point is, every pastor in their marriage will come to a place where they can't solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. And when we have a, an, an environment of uh, truth and humility, what it means is, I've got problems, just like this couple was saying, we're going to go get help. Everyone, everyone needs to have an emergency plan, and everyone needs to have a name that they agree to to go to, to go get help. And so you say, okay, we don't have problems right now, but if we had problems, where would we go? And you get that name. A lot of people, they they're afraid that if they go get help, somebody will find out about it. Let me tell you, if somebody finds out that I went to get help and they chose not to be my friend or not to be in our congregation because of that that person is going to kill me if I let them keep me from going to get help. And I just think it's so, uh, what we teach people, getting help is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, we should be examples that we go get help. And I heard Bill Hybels, and I have the highest regard for Bill Hybels, I heard Bill say one time, he said, I'm always in counseling because I'm always doing something I can't figure out. And I'm always wondering, why did I respond this way? Well, that was immature, whatever. I, I just have the highest regard for him because of his humility and his honesty, and what a great example. So I think that it's a given. Karen and I, in our marriage, having marriage today, we've had times in our marriage that we had to go get help. 
from someone. And that's just reality. And like I said, we've been married for 40 years now, but it's a moving target. Just when, you know, just when I think I get it figured out, something changes. And so I reserve the right to be messed up, and I will go get help if I have problems, and no one's going to talk me out of that. And I think that's, that, that is something that every pastor needs to, um, uh, to embrace and to protect for their own well-being. Okay, so I'm a pastor, or I'm on staff uh, somewhere, and I need a name. Where do I find somebody like that? Chip, you want to weigh in on that? Um, I think the best thing you can do is maybe take two or three local counselors to lunch and, you know, have a certain preset of questions. So you, I mean, I mean, I could give you two or three key orientations you want them to have that are the most biblically grounded and rooted. And, um, let's I mean, talk about that just a minute. You mind going there or not? No, no, I don't mind. Okay. What do you look for? Um, the fancy words are cognitive therapy or some version thereof, which is based on as a man thinks in his heart. And then the second would be family systems theory. Um, if a counselor's coming from those two schools of thought, they're going to be, whether they're not even a believer, they're going to be very compatible with our belief system. Um, now, obviously, if they're a believer, that's, that, that should be a prerequisite. But those two, those two styles of counseling are the most compatible with our, with our values. Okay. All right, let me, uh, let's jump into a couple of, uh, we did get a lot of questions on boundaries, uh, some of which we've dealt with a little bit, but let's, let's get some specifics. Um, what factors come into play when determining whether a, quote, ministry situation uh, that needs to be tended to should or should not be prioritized over family time. Okay, we okay. I'm going to work 45 hours a week. I got that, but uh, somebody calls. Uh, it's an emergency. What factors come into play? How do you determine whether this elevates to it's an exception uh, or or I leave it alone? Anybody want to weigh in on that? I mean, I can say something there. Um, I, you know, I'm a very compassionate guy. I'm a counselor, you know, but I've found over the years that there are very few true emergencies. Most of what people call emergencies have been simmering problems for 10 years. It's just right now it's blown up in their face and they want you to jump. So I, I don't respond well to people's definition of emergencies. Um, now, obviously, death, you know, clamp, you know, crisis things; those are different. But most of what people call emergencies can wait till Tuesday for an appointment. Okay. Good. I think in our in our journey, Greg, we've had it. You know, with being a smaller church plant, really had to to figure this out. A um, couple things is we ask, you know, what are we characterized by? Number one is, you know, is is this are we characterized by this jumping here, here, here? We're always asking that. But I've found too in the area of crisis. Um, I go to Connie and say, is this a crisis worth leaving this situation for? And usually her answer is pretty right on. And if she says, like, 
yeah, you should you should go do this. We agree on it. Then that usually is a crisis. That's very few times because I I learned from from you um, to how to set up counseling and make people kind of take the the step of setting up their counseling, doing it at a time that works best for our family because that kind of gives them some skin in the game when they come, and then making sure that uh, they're really really wanting to get some help um, on that. So that's helped us there. It's just in her opinion um, has been huge in what's truly a crisis. Okay. How about this? Um, obviously, we all uh, know people. We've seen the devastation of uh, uh, sexual temptation acted on outside of marriage. Uh, in ministry, what do you do to protect yourself from sexual temptation that could uh, destroy your marriage? And then another question that came kind of along with that is, should a minister's wife alert her husband's accountability team to ungodly behavior within him, or is that violating trust? So, what do you do? Uh, Brian, uh, why don't you kind of see if you can tackle a part of that. What do you do to protect your marriage from uh, sexual temptation? Um, well, I mean, I, I think first of all, I think, you know, I think I've been very honest with Amy about, um, you know, my own life, my past issues that I've had, so she's very aware of the things that I might deal with along the way. And so we've kind of developed a very open conversation about some of those things. But I know for me personally, I mean, I could certainly lie from her. I could keep things from her or, or whatever. And I think, um, you know, I, I think, you know, especially if a pastor has a history or has been exposed to things where they're, you know, that's, that's his, that's going to be his downfall. Um, you know, he has got to, to, you know, you can't, one of the things that, that's very easy to neglect in ministry because we're so busy is that, is our personal time with God in that, that, you know, time where you set apart every day for prayer and worship and, and, you know, being in God's word. And, you know, when we are just leading out of the overflow of what God is doing, you know, it, those things are not going to be as much of a temptation to us. I mean, they're out there and they're right in our face. But when you start neglecting those things because of the busyness of ministry, because of, um, you know, always feeling like you're going to be on call, that's when you're setting yourself up for a failure. That's when you're setting yourself up to, you know, for the enemy to, to attack you in one of those areas. So I think you have to have some safeguards as well. But, you know, even safeguards, you can figure yourself around those. This is a heart issue. It really is a heart issue. And until you fix your heart, you're not going to have vic real victory over these issues. And so I think you have to tackle it from that way. And, you know, um, guys that I've dealt with who have fallen, you know, into immorality or whatever, I mean, there were patterns that were going on. There were things that were neglected along the way. And it wasn't just like it happened overnight. It happened over a period of time. And so you got to go back and you go, what are those disciplines? What are those things in that, in your life that you've been neglecting? And, you know, Stay at that. Stay at that place of being on your face and in a place of renewal and repentance and all of that. So, of of you know guarding your life. But but at the same time, you know, having a very honest conversation and dialogue between you and your spouse about those issues, I think, is really important. Okay, Ted, you want to weigh in at all on? Uh... Yeah, we had. I've had very tangible leaders. I was at Saddleback my first five years of marriage, and they had like the Saddleback Ten Commandments for what you could do as an employee, but one of them was you could never be, if you were married, you couldn't be a member of, of the opposite sex, just the two of you. And, and at North Point, it was the same way. Like mm -hmm. 
and yeah. that it, it was just great wisdom and it's so funny and Andy talks about you know you want to set your boundaries way far away from the danger you know and so I mean there's been a couple of times I've gone to speak at places and they've sent a lady to pick me up at the airport and it freaked me out because I have so that's been such a boundary with us yeah. uh, I think there's practical things like uh, that it's just been huge you're not ever in the situation you know if I was ever meeting with my assistant at North Point you know the door would always be open and we were just really careful about that kind of thing and you know I think there's you know and then you know there's the other piece of the pornography piece of you know I think things like X3 watch and different things just just setting up your world to protect yourself where you know not you know you're not dependent all on just willpower you've got good boundaries and you've got good people in your life but just those just those real tangible things, you know, have been huge, you know, for us. And it just it's just the way I honor have always honored my wife. And so there's so I've I've called her before. There's the lady going to pick me up at the airport. I've actually told somebody I'd really prefer it if you sent a guy, and they look at you like you got three heads. But um, it's it, it's been great for us. Yeah, good safeguards, Jimmy. You want to add anything to that? Um, you mentioned Greg about. Um, could the wife call the accountability group? Right. I, I say yes. And I, I don't think that it can be a daily call, you know, where every time he does something wrong, you know, that's the hit squad. Because um, I think then the, there is a violation of trust. I think if a wife is seeing destructive behavior, that is a very important uh, uh, avenue for her to go. I've got a, an accountability group in my life, and Karen, Karen knows their number and has threatened to call it. You know, and over my schedule was an example. It wasn't a sexual thing, but, you know, she just thought I was doing too much. And I said, no, I'm, I'm okay. And she said, if you keep this up, I'm calling your accountability group. And, and she meant it. And so, but the thing is, it, it, to what it said to me is she loves me. Mm-hmm. She's concerned about me. And she doesn't feel like she has the ability to get through to me. So there's a, you know, there's a, a safety uh, there. And I think that, I think that a wife... If she sees her husband in dangerous behavior, she should uh, contact that accountability group. And if there's not an accountability group there, that's even a bigger problem. Right. You know, we um, we have we've all had friends, and we've had some fairly high-profile situations uh, where friends of ours have fallen uh, to sexual temptation. And so I've sat in circles of friends and said, "Okay, what are we going to do?" How do we, you know, safeguard ourselves? And it always comes to accountability and accountability partners, and that's good. And I think we all need them. I, I believe we all need to sit at a table with a group of people who love you but are not impressed with you. you you've got to have that. And yeah. probably you should have multiples of those. But uh, especially when you're at the uh, top of the food chain, maybe as a senior pastor, and your accountability group is – pastors that are not in your current locale, they don't see you every day, you know, you're accountable, but you're as accountable as you want to be. And so one of the things that we have instituted, which I think works in a marriage too, is the the tattle clause, where you take two or three of the key staff that are around you, that see you every day, they can see your attitude, they can see what's going on, and if, if there are issues that they go, hmm, there's something I don't understand here, or there's something below the surface. You have permission 
to call my accountability group and talk to them about it because um, sustainability of my spiritual life, my marriage, the pastoral ministry that I have is a lot more important than you tattling on me. And so um, you have permission. I think it's the same with your with your wife or husband, whichever it happens to be, um, that you give them permission. You initiate that. You say, our marriage is so important that uh, uh, you see something in me and if we come up against uh, you know something where we're just not communicating well, you've got permission to talk to our counselor. You've got permission to talk to the group. Uh, you mean that much to me. And uh, so, uh, Justin, Trish, you want to say anything about that? Yeah. Well, just even our story, like before things started to get really bad, I mean, I knew they were bad. I never assumed that an affair was going on, but I went to one of our elders and I just broke down and said, we're not doing well. The, the unfortunate part is that if we don't surround ourselves by people who are, are not just fans, friends, or just friends, even in our eldership or those close, they won't see it. I mean, they'll be blinded by it. And unfortunately for our story, that was the case, that I just was received and kind of like I was overreacting. I wasn't taken seriously. And so instead of continuing to fight until somebody heard me, I just gave up. But I think what's hard in this topic is I feel like what's been revealed for Justin and I is two very separate things. And one is just sexual intimacy in general that women are beginning to fear, well, if my husband gets in a car with a woman, is she going to undress her, you know, with his eyes? Like all of this fear that, you know, the boundaries are meant to shield what may is just going to happen. And I think I want to be careful that we speak into that, God designed, you know, your marriage for you to be fully known. And when the church fully knows you more than your wife does, that's when the mist starts happening. You know, it begins there before it becomes, I looked at a woman in an inappropriate way or a lustful way. And at the same time, recognizing that, you know, physical intimacy is just as important as you leading emotionally and leading spiritually in your family. But when we get... Um, behind busyness and we get behind the train of church planning as wives, that's the first area that normally goes out the door. You know, if you read The Power of a Praying Husband and Wife, like where sexual intimacy is in the book is like completely opposite, that that's something that, you know, is I think still a miss about what that role is even supposed to be in our relationships. And because it's so confusing and because it's so low on the totem pole, it, it creates all of these issues with trying to figure out boundaries, and so, which I think those are all important. But if you're lying to your accountability partner, if you're lying to your spouse, if you're lying to those people, accountability is useless if it's not transforming your heart. But I think part of it is we just don't know how to transform it. Yeah. And not saying that, you know, we need to pursue our wives and our husbands in that area just as much as we pursue them in leading them spiritually and in all other facets of your relationship. And that's, that's one thing that I would, have, I would add to the conversation as someone who did fall in ministry, who did give in to sexual temptation. It was much more than, <clears throat> it was much more than the affair. The issues that I had um, were much more than that relationship. And um, I, I've got, got asked probably, Six months to a year after the affair came out, this has been almost eight years ago now, 
I was asked by pastor friends of mine, and why didn't you have an accountability group? Why didn't you have an accountability group? How can you have an accountability partner? And I was like, I, I did. I had a church planning coach I met with every Tuesday morning. I had an accountability partner I met with every Wednesday morning. I just lied to them. And, I, I, and so I, I think we, we have propped ourselves up on this word accountability, like you said, Greg, I think earlier, to make ourselves look like we have it more together, maybe Jimmy said that, than we really are. And we've foregone being truly honest. You know, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. And I don't think, I think that we need to have some freedom and we give ourselves permission to actually confess our sins to one another, receive prayer from one another, so that not so that we can cover up that sin, so that we can be healed from it. That's good. Wow. Um, I have, we, we've hit about two questions out of about 15 that I, want, that I wanted to go through. And uh, we're about at the end of our hour. Here's what we need to do. We need to do marriage in ministry part two sometime. And if you guys will give us some more time, I, I think this has no doubt uh, been helpful. I know it's helpful to me and probably has been helpful to a lot of people. Uh, so we'll, we'll put a wrap on that, uh, that segment of it right now. I want to take just a minute before we uh, kind of wrap it up. And uh, let's talk about, uh, we call it our it segment. What have you read? What have you written? What have you seen lately that you can't quit thinking about? And this is a time for selfless, shame, shameless self-promotion. That's what it is, not selfless, shameless self-promotion uh, or, uh, or, or something somebody else has said uh, th that you go, wow, this, is, this has really made an impact on me. Uh, so uh, somebody want to chime in? Great question, Greg. Awesome. <laughs> Brian, anything? This is the time to shamelessly promote ourselves. Is that what Absolutely. you say, Greg? Absolutely. No doubt. Uh, well, as you guys know, I mean, you mentioned this earlier. Amy and I uh, felt called um, to write a book a few years back. Actually, it was, came out last year at Exponential called It's Personal um, Surviving or Thriving on the Ministry of Church Planning. And, and so, we wrote that book based on uh, just all of the questions that we've gotten over the years from young couples who ask us about raising kids, boundaries. Um, how do you have a healthy marriage in the midst of, of ministry? How do you, um, you know, how do you put boundaries around your friendships? You know, staffing, all of those issues. So, um, you know, it, 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 I don't know how Justin and Trisha did with this, but uh, one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life, I think, is writing a book with my wife. But um, it was, uh, you know, it's something that, that we felt uh, that God had really led us to do. And so um, hopefully it's been a help to some people out there. Good. It's a good book. It's a good book. Chip. I mean, uh, you're, you're used to hearing this, but, you know, the biggest thought on my mind, and it really touches a lot of what we've talked about, is, uh, you know, I feel us starting to wrestle with inner issues. Um, I'm excited about leaders finding their place in the Father's love in a way that they live from a deeper place of security and confidence and settledness in who they are, and then we'll lead more from a you know just a just a healthier place. And uh, so I'm just I'm just excited about what I see in leaders, and uh, there you know I think we're talking more about getting healthy 
And uh, that's just really, really encouraging to me because I think we're the key to the whole thing. And uh, don't mean it unkindly, but most leaders uh, still operate from a bit of an orphan thing, and they're still sort of trying to make dad proud. And uh, that just kind of it, it creates problems that don't show themselves at first, but they, they kind of sneak up later. So I'm excited about some of the trends I see. Good. Jimmy, what, what have you read, written, seen that you can't quit thinking about? Well, um, first of all, Greg, thanks for allowing me to be a part of this, and thanks for the focus on marriage. Um, what, what I believe is that uh, what's wrong with America is people need God and people need family. And our government is broken, and we're spending trillions of dollars that will never fix any problem. But God and family fix every problem. And those are the two things that we have uniquely as a church to give away that nobody else can take care of. And uh, for 30 years at the church that I pastor, we have invested in marriages because I came into the ministry as a marriage counselor. And so we focused on marriage. And this is the shameless self-promotion part. We, we rarely deal with marriage problems on our staff uh, because we always do. We, we rarely have a divorce. I can't remember the last one among any of the leaders of our church, hundreds of leaders of our church. I don't remember the last divorce. We give people the right to uh, have problems. We give people the resources to fix their problems. We have dozens of groups on marriage that go on all the time, counseling, all those kinds of things, all the way from a small group to, uh, you know, counseling or an intensive or something like that. And every thriving church that I know of long-term invests a lot in marriages. And no one on this panel needs to hear that, but I know there's pe there are people tuning in. And I totally agree with, with what he just said. I think there's we're fear-based, we're orphan-based, and we're trying to do things that, you know, entertain people or fascinate people. If we help people develop a relationship with God and a family, those are the foundations of church. And a tremendous amount of what we do needs to be focused on those two things. And if, if America could fix those two things, we would fix America. All the symptoms that we're trying to fix with trillions of dollars, if we would fix those two things, we'd also fix the church. And so I appreciate the focus on marriage and everyone listening that's a part of this. Invest in marriage. Invest in marriage as a pastor, and it brings huge results. MarriageToday.com for more information on Jimmy's ministry. Um, all right, uh, Justin and Tricia. Uh, What's yeah. happening? What are you excited about? Well, he's going to do the shameless no, promotion. Uh, 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 no, not really. We have a friend named Cindy Beal who has worked with Jimmy and his wife yeah. and has told us for the last six months, you have got to meet Jimmy Evans. And so to be able to be on this panel with him, I'm, I'm excited about going and learning more about his ministry. And he didn't say this, but I think you have a simulcast tomorrow, uh, Valentine's Day that you're doing. I'm promoting you. I'm going to shamelessly promote you uh, because I think you're doing a simul simulcast uh, on your, off of your website tomorrow. Is that right? Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for the, the shameless self-promotion of somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, I what think time I is want it? to say, and not to end on a heavy note, but, you know, there was, um, it's very rare that I get emotional about our story. We tell it all the time. But I sat and looked at my three small boys at the time eight years ago 
and really thought that my marriage wouldn't make it. And we weren't talking about these things. And whether you're on the panel today or if you're listening, what you do matters. What you choose for your family matters and what you choose for your church matters. And it's not about looking like our ministry or Jimmy's or being a counselor like Chip. It's about being who God called you to be and how to minister in that way. So I just I hope that people leave this um, empowered and excited to to dream big and to remember that each person each marriage affects like you know Jimmy said it affects a, a family and generations to come and I'm just grateful I'm just grateful. Awesome. Well, Kat, uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about. Uh, What's going on in your in your world? Yeah, I think for me, I think when I look at what I get excited about is terms of, you know, doing something different. You know, if we had definition of insanity, same thing over and over, expected different results. I think the difference is the church. I think it's the church really taking marriage ministry in-house, saying, we're going to do this. And so our, I, I get up every day, and our goal is to create a strategy for, for churches. We want to make the church the hero. We don't care if couples know we exist. Uh, we want church leaders to know we exist so we can empower them to have a, a strategy uh, for marriage and give couples. Because I think, you know, I'm more convinced every day that it's not an issue of intelligence with couples. It's an issue of exposure. And they have not been exposed to the great things that are common nature, you know, second nature to us. You know, meet with uh, we did a youth pastors conference and we did a marriage seminar and we're talking about boundaries and they're looking at us like we're saying you need to adopt a monkey. I mean, they look, what, what, what's the boundary? You know, and for us, what's so second nature to us is just not true for others. And I think if a church can embrace that and really start giving couples a language and giving couples, you know, a strategy of how to love each other, I think that could be the huge difference. And I, I feel like that's, that's what's happening with church. And I get very excited about that. Cool. Hey, you know what I get excited about is that picture behind your head. Um, oh, so, see, let me see. Portrait. Is it's, that what that is? Show it to me. It's either me or Chris Daltrey. I'm not sure. That's good. I love it. I love there we go. Ted, Ted, if people want to know more about what you're doing and your ministry, how do they do that? Uh, go to marriedpeople.org. I think I'm the only moron that didn't know how to put the address at the bottom of my name here on this thing. So it's, it's marriedpeople.org. Marriedpeople.org. Okay, right. good. Um, I just want to promote All Access, uh, ARC All Access Conference coming up uh, in April. And uh, you can go to All Access. I don't even remember what the website is. Uh, do, do you have the slide up right now? Yeah. All right, good. You can see it on the slide. Hey, listen, this has been fun. Sean, talk to us real quick about what's coming up next. Yeah, we got February 27th as our next Hangout, and uh, we're going to be talking about generosity, uh, finances, and money as it pertains in the church and especially the church leadership. We've got Joe Sangle from I Was Broke, but now I'm not, and now the president of Enjoy uh, Stewardship is going to be on the call. Uh, Chris Willard from Generis, uh, which is a 
a consulting firm that helps with uh, just bringing generosity into your church is going to be on the call. It looks like possibly John Siebling is going to be on the call, and then also Michael Lukowski from Giving Rocket um, with uh, Casey Graham's organization is going to be on the call talking just about how to raise the temperature of generosity in your church. So excited about that one on February 27th, and that'll be at the same time, 2 p.m., and we'll be getting the word out, obviously, tweeting, uh, sending emails to those who have been to the others as well. Okay, and, and uh, if you wanted to uh, watch this or have your staff watch what we just did, uh, where can you find it? So this will be archived um, immediately following this at ministryhangouts.com, and uh, you can go there and see the last one uh, that we did, and then all of those that will be archived as well as this one will be there uh, to watch and to be able to watch with your staff. All right. Well, thank you, uh, panel, team. We really appreciate you guys being a part uh, this month, and uh, we, uh, I guess we're out of here. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Greg.